Good evening, everyone. <laughs> I wasn't sure how that was going to come out. You guys are all right? You guys don't look dangerous. I was concerned. <laughs> I I um been looking forward to these meetings for several months. And finally, I get to speak because it's all been building up. It's been building up and the pressure's been building. And I get to share with you what God has shared with me. I am so excited. But before we do this, I want you to know that I am not intelligent enough to be able to communicate to you the realities of heaven. I need special help. And because I need help, I'm going to ask if you don't mind, if you would bow your heads and I will kneel and ask God to be with us as we open his word. Is that okay? Uh, all right. Our Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, you have brought us out to these meetings safely. We ask, Father, that you station angels around this place. We ask, Father, that you open our understanding and our minds that we may understand your word. For spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We thank you, Father, for being so loving and so kind. And we thank you for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, I tell you the truth, Bible prophecy has been one of my favorite, 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 favorite things to study since I was about 18 years old. And the reason why it was so important to me is because I did not want to be tricked. I didn't want somebody to give me some stuff from the Bible, and I didn't know if the Bible was true. I didn't want to be controlled by anybody's religion. I didn't want to be manipulated by anybody's thoughts and feelings and ideas. I wanted to understand and know for myself. So I did a little bit of investigation. I said, I want to study Shintoism and Buddhism and Hinduism. I want to study Christianity. I, I want to go in and I really want to understand what these teachings are and why people are so hung up on this book. And tonight, my friends, I want to share just a little bit. Trust me, I can speak. If you ask for any of my students, I can easily go for days, nonstop. <laughs> I can go for days, nonstop, but we only have 27 sessions together. And in that time frame that we're together, we're just going to be building every night. So if you're going to miss a night, you should have missed tonight. We're going to be building, my friends. And every night when we build, as we are building, I want you to understand that as we're on this journey, you're going to come closer and closer to Jesus. Is that okay? Amen. At the end of the day, I just want to be closer and closer to Jesus. Nothing else matters to me. Nothing else is more important to me. I want my daughter to grow closer to Jesus. I want you to grow closer to Jesus. And I want you to understand that God actually has a plan in this crazy, messed up world. And tonight we're just going to begin to touch. I mean, just barely. We're just going to, we're going to be like, we're going to barely touch it. But when we touch it, you're going to see without question that we're living in the toes of Bible prophecy. We are on the brink of eternity. Now, on Time Magazine, they had this uh, on a couple of covers. Is the Bible fact or fiction? And under that headline, it says, Archaeologists in the Holy Land are shedding new light on what did or didn't occur in the greatest stories ever told. So archaeologists are going in, they're digging, and they're finally seeing, oh, those stories in that Bible, that old book over there, they're actually true. They're not made up. 
And then there's this other one, the end of the world, question mark. And then it says, Y2K insanity, apocalypse now. Will computers melt down? Will society, uh, a guide to millennial madness? And everybody was moving out to some land to get away from Y2K. Anybody remember what happened in Y2K? Nothing. You know what I did when they were talking about it? I went to bed. I wasn't concerned, not one iota, because I understand what the Bible teaches in regards to these last days. And none of us in this room need to be ignorant in regards to what God is about to do. Is that all right? So let's, let's go into our study. Now, I'm going to lay some principles out to you. And when I lay these principles out, in fact, I want to make sure I write this one first. I'm going to write it out. This is one of the keys. And you might think this is so basic, and it is. It's not complicated. One of the keys to understanding Bible prophecy is friendship. Somebody wasn't expecting that one, huh? One of the keys to understanding Bible prophecy is friendship. And I'm going to share with you why in a few moments. Well, we're going to take a look at the prophetic curtain. And I'm going to lay a principle, and I'm going to read this to you, and at the end of our study, you're going to either decide if it's a true statement or not a true statement. So here is what I'm going to put on the screen. Notice what it says. It says, in the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires appear as if dependent on the will and prowess of men. The shaping of events seems to a great degree to be determined by his power ambition or caprice but in the word of God in what my friends in the word of God the curtain is drawn aside and we behold above behind and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions the agencies of the all merciful one silently patiently working out the counsels of his own will. Now listen, my friends, when I read that to you, do you know what just happened? I, I got a little tingle. Not because I'm feeling any special or anything. I'm just, I'm reading it and I'm understanding that God is in control. Is that all right? Amen. That it doesn't matter. Listen to me carefully because we're going to be touching on various areas of political and religio-political and all these different things, and we're going to be touching on them, but I want you to understand these men and women are not in control. At the end of the day, God has this thing on lock. What they think they're, you know how you're playing chess, and you think you guys, you put somebody in check, and you think you got it. And in this world, people think they got God on check. They think they got religion on check. They think they got the politics on check, the economics on check. But God has another move that he's about to make. Do you understand? Now, when he makes that move, my brothers and sisters, we all need to be in our proper place. We need to be in our proper positions because there is a supernatural plan. Now, I'm going to share a couple of texts with you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You want to write these down because we have several to go through. I'm going to put some on the screen and others. We're going to open our scriptures. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things. What things, my friends? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So who has the secret things? God does. 
Now, if I want to know a secret, then if he has the secret, who should I go to? God. That's right, my brother. If God has the secret, I need to go to God. Now, once he reveals his secret, the text says, now we must obey. Are you following the idea? So the secret things belong to God, but that which is revealed is revealed to us so that we can follow his instruction. Isaiah 46, verse 9, notice what the Bible says. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Now let me tell you something about this statement. You read the Quran. You read any other religious textbook. There is no other definitive God statement like this in any of those books. In other words, God is saying, because I am God and there is none like me, I am going to declare something. In fact, look at verse number 10. It says, declaring the end from when, my friends? Do you know, and this is not our study tonight, but do you know that when you study the book of Genesis, it actually tells you what's going to happen in the end of time. He declares the end from the beginning. It says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is in control, my friends. God is in charge of what's about to happen. And again, he makes a declarative statement of himself. I am God. There is nobody else like me. Why? Because I can tell you the end from the very beginning. This is an amazing God that we serve. Notice what else the Bible says. Isaiah 42, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to what, my friends? To graven images. So there are no idols. He doesn't give his praise to idols, no images. No, he doesn't allow for any of that to happen because imagine now if you perceive that God was an image, then your viewpoint of yourself is going to be lowered. If you view yourself as coming from a monkey, guess what? You're no better than a... Come on now, I'm just saying, just be a real talk. But if our creator is God and then we are his children, then it exalts us and brings us to a place where we're no longer just animals or creatures. We're actually sons and daughters of the Most High. Does that make sense, everybody? So notice what the Bible says here. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. What does he do? I tell you of them. So God is saying, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. Now, he's not just telling you for the sake of telling you. In fact, I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you the, the, the highest reason why God tells you the future. It's not for you to go hide in the mountains. Nope. In fact, open your Bibles now. Here's some text I want you to open your Bibles to. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Amos, Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. And again, we're just building a case together. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says, when you have it, just say amen if you have it. Amen. Amos 3, verse 7. The Bible says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing. Now, what does nothing mean? Now, you can't use the same word to define a word. You guys know that, right? That is a, <laughs> my teacher used to say, Andre, that is not good English, huh? 
So what does nothing mean? None. It's like none, nothing, huh? So there, there is absolutely zero that he does without first telling his servants the prophets. He doesn't do anything without letting his, his servants the prophets know. And notice what else it says. But he revealeth his secrets unto his servants the prophets. Now remember, the secrets belong unto God. But God then shares them with his prophets. So if I want to understand the secret, I should go to his. There you go. You guys are on point. You guys are a great class already. Genesis chapter 18. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is actually a very interesting story. One of my favorites, actually. In Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 16. What's happened in Genesis chapter 18 is that God himself has come down to visit with Abraham. And he has two angels that are walking with him, although Abraham does not know that this is God as of yet. And as these guests are about to leave from Abraham's home, he get, they get up and they say something that's actually very interesting. Look at verse number 16. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, it says, And, then, and, and the men rose up from thence. And looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. So Abraham was being hospitable. He was like, okay, you guys are, let me, let me take you to your car. Okay, <laughs> let me take you to the door. Let me, let me lead you out. So he's doing the right thing, treating these, these men, although he doesn't know that these are angels, he's treating them well. Now, when he does this, there's a blessing that ends up happening. Look at verse number 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, let me just for a moment help you understand this interaction. So here it is. God gets up from his seat. He's walking out. Two angels are with him. They look like men. And as they're walking out, God pauses. Can I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Can I, can I keep a secret from Abraham? Anybody have a best friend? Not any, no, we have to talk after, sister. <laughs> All right? But I, I have a best friend. Her name is Alpha. You're going to get to meet her in a couple you know, weeks. She has to go to Chicago tomorrow, so she's not here. But she's my best friend. That's my girl. That's my woman. That's my, we roll together. All right? So anytime I go on a trip, like when I was in Australia or I was in Malaysia, Singapore, I go on these trips, and people are like, hey, Andre, you want to go and see X, Y, Z? And my wife's not with me? I really don't want to go see anything. I just want to stay in my room. Can I get my wife on FaceTime? Can I get her on the phone? Can I read my Bible? I don't want to see anything. Because if I see it without her, it's, it's actually painful. <laughs> because you, you understand there's this relationship that, that is there. And God is now in this relationship. And he's like, man, I can't keep a, I can't keep a, a secret from Abraham. That's my guy. That's, that's, I can't keep a secret from him. When we're tight, when I'm about to do something, when I'm about to make a move, you know, God has a problem these days. God does, have, does not have many friends. Like my sister said. It's, it's, it, listen, I, I thought I had friends. You ever been stabbed in the back? 
stabbed in the back under the fifth rib. Huh? <laughs> that, that is not a good feeling. I mean, even, even more so when you think they're tight with you, like you think they're church members. Right? They've been there, done that, right? So, so, so what I'm saying is God has a problem. He doesn't have many friends. And God is about to make a move, and he's looking for friends to communicate with and to talk to, to share what's on his heart, and he's having a hard time. And, you know, it's interesting because we can be in this room right here. I can be communicating with you the realities of heaven to you, and you could miss it altogether. It could just go over. You know why? Because the relationship is not as tight. And so what we want to do every night we come together, I want to press closer to Jesus. Is that okay? Closer to Jesus. The closer we come, the tighter we get. The tighter we get, the clearer the communication and the word of God becomes to us. So that at that point, there's nothing that heaven can't tell us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what we want. At the end of the day, that's all we want. We want to be friends of God. So Genesis 18, look at verse 16. We read 16. We read 17. Let's look at 18. It says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now watch what it says next. For I, what's it say, my friends? For I know him. That word know is, is, is it's a intimacy there. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which I have spoken of him. So at the end of the day, God's saying, look, I, I know Abraham. I know that once I reveal this reality to him, he's going to teach his family the same thing. I know that once he's faithful to this, I know he's going to share with his household, all his, all his servants. I know he's going to communicate that. Therefore, I trust him with this revelation. Does that make sense, everybody? So the question is, and you know, as we begin, because reality is the things that I'm sharing with you, some of you never heard what I just said before. But the things that we're going to share with you as we go along, as they're revealed, the question is, what are you going to do with it? God reveals information. What are you going to do with it? You're going to be like, ah, that's just the preacher. No, it's not. It ain't me. The word of God. And he's looking for friends, my friends. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We need to move along quickly here. John chapter 13. We may not even get to the prophecy if we don't move faster. <laughs> John chapter 13. And we're looking at verse number 19. John 13 and verse number 19. Notice what the Bible says. And Jesus is speaking. The letters are in red. John 13, 19 says, Now I tell you before, Jesus is speaking. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen in the future. When it happens then you'll know that I am he, I am the Messiah. So the purpose of Bible prophecy, one of the key points of Bible prophecy, is so that you can trust what the word of God says and then trust God for your salvation. I tell you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. One more verse here. One more verse here. John 14, 29. John 14 and verse 29. Notice what the Bible says in John 14, 29. It says, and now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might, what's it say, my friends? 
So God is not asking you to believe just for the sake of a feeling that you have. He wants to show you. He wants you to see it with your mind, your spiritual eye. And so when you see it and you say, man, that happened just like he said, I can trust him with my salvation. This happened just like he said. I can trust him with my salvation because at the end of the day, if you just have information about prophecy and you're not saved, it does no good for you. So I, he, that's why I love Jesus, you know, because at the end of the day, when I start seeing this, I said, man, I just want to be God's friend. Right? I just want to be his friend. And the two, the two key people in the Bible that expound on Bible prophecy, whether it be Daniel or John the Revelator, both of them, John is called John the Beloved. And in Daniel, Daniel at, at, chapter, at chapter 12 or chapter 11, it comes down and the angel comes and says to him, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Before he says one thing about prophecy, he says, you are greatly beloved. It is the friendship with God that is key to understanding Bible prophecy. I want to be his friend. Don't you want to be his friend? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So why Bible prophecy? God reveals the future so we can know what we are to do. Number two, God reveals the future so that you can learn to, what's it say, my friends? Trust him. That's why he tells you the future, so you can trust him. He's not trying to scare you. He tells you the future so you can say, oh, he said that was going to happen. Now, what did he tell me to do when that happened? What's that instruction? Now, I'll follow that instruction. Number three, God reveals the future so we can know God has a plan. He has a plan. We're not just out here winging it. <laughs> we're not just out here just hanging out. He has a plan. So one of my favorite books is the book of Daniel. And we're going to go to Daniel 2 right now. And we're going to move rapidly but slowly, if that makes any sense. Daniel chapter 2. Go to Daniel chapter 2. This is where the crux of our prophetic reading is going to come from. In Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse, verse number 1. I do want to pay attention to a little bit of my time. All right, we're doing good. Daniel chapter 2, let's begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to show the king his dreams, so they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall be received of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Now, this is interesting, my friends. I don't know if you've you ever had a dream. Everybody, you had dreams, right? Everybody dreams? Okay, so I had one dream. It's, it's, I'm a, it's kind of a weird dream, so don't do any psychological analysis of my dream. Okay, but I'm going to tell you a dream I had. So I had this dream that I, was, I, I fell asleep, and then I fell into a spider web. 
And I'm there, and this big, huge spider is coming to get me, right? And then as it's coming to get me, and right as it's about to eat me, I fall into a town. And I'm in the town, and I'm there in this town, and all of a sudden there's this uh, witch flying on a broom. And this is just flying around, and I'm scared. This, this is when I was a little boy. Now, I'm scared. This little thing is just flying, and I'm just like, ah, and then I wake up. Now, I had this dream like four or five times. It was just the craziest thing ever. So then one day, I was like, I, I was watching cartoons again. I was a child. And I'm watching cartoons, and then in this particular cartoon, it said, you can control your dreams. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. So I went to sleep. Same thing happened, fell into the spider web, and as the spider is coming to like eat me, I said, I can control my dreams. Like I said it in my dream, I can control my dreams. So I said, I can do anything I want in my dreams. So I said, oh. <laughs> so I grabbed a, 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 a stake, appeared in my, in my hand in the dream, and I stabbed the spider in the head. Then I, I fell into the town, and then I'm in the town, and there's this thing flying around on a broom. And then I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I took tomatoes, <laughs> and I threw them at the witch on the broom. She fell and melted into the tomatoes. That was the end of my dream. Now tell me, any prophetic significance? You're going to sit there and be like, so, Brother Waller, were you watching uh, The Wizard of Oz? Uh, like, <laughs> you know, what were you doing? So, yes, there are some dreams, literally, that just come from a multitude of thinking. Right, you're just stressed out, you watch TV, there was a movie you saw, and that was a dream that you had. So that, I think that dream kind of came from that. There are other dreams that literally are from God himself. And I'm going to show you something, Job chapter 33. Some people don't know about this, but Job chapter 33, I'm going to show you something with you. Job 33, and we're going to read verse number 14. Job 33 and verse 14. And when you have it, just say amen. All right, Job 33, verse 14, the Bible says, For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw men from his purpose and hide pride from man did you guys get that sometimes when you go to sleep now this the best way to know if this is transpiring is if you don't go to bed right after you eat because if you eat and then go to sleep your dream's going to be crazy i mean it's just all right but there are sometimes because I have dreams, and I've been instructed in dreams, and I'm not saying that we all should work by that, but there are some times when God literally puts you to sleep, and the purpose based on this text is that he may hide pride from you to protect you from making bad decisions. Are you hear what I'm saying? So in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, God is actually trying to protect Nebuchadnezzar from making a bad mistake. And you'll see it in a moment. In fact, the mistake that Nebuchadnezzar ultimately ends up making is the same mistake that Lucifer made in heaven. The exact same mistake. 
Now go back to Daniel, please. Go back to Daniel. Back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Now, mind you, when he has his dream, the Bible says that he could not even remember what the dream was in and of itself. So he woke up. All he could remember was the dream was important. It was pressing upon his mind. The dream is important. But he couldn't remember the dream, couldn't remember the essence of the dream, couldn't remember nothing. Okay? So keep that in mind because God, listen to this. I'm going to say this this way. God always lets the wicked go first before he steps in to reveal himself. Nobody got it. Pay attention to what I'm saying. It's almost like, uh, especially when it comes to, to, to mankind, I'm going to use my daughter as an example. Love you, sweetheart. So my daughter, she's my little girl, and uh, I've, I've used this before. When she started walking, she would just hold my little pinky. Right, and she'd be the little wobbleization. That's what she was doing. And she would walk and wobble, and walk and wobble. And then there was a point in which she just was like, and then she was and wobbling for like two steps, and boom, she's on the ground. And she'd fall on the ground, and then she'll look up at me and go, God always lets the wicked go first. If God stepped in before the wicked did, the wicked would be like, see, well, he didn't let me do it. I could have did better. So he lets the wicked go first. You go first. Tell me what the dream is. You go first. Reveal what the dream is. Astrologers, soothsayers. Hey, do we have economic problems in our country? Yes or no? Yes. Do we have uh, moral issues in our country? Yes or no? Yes. So we got problems in the home, problems with our finances. Are there problems in churches? Yes or no? Yes, every church. There's no church that doesn't have a problem. So God lets the wicked go first until the wicked finally figure out. Are you following what I'm saying? He has to do that because otherwise, because we're so arrogant, because we're so proud, because we're so highfalutin, if you will, we would take glory to ourselves for any success that we have. We brushed our teeth this morning. We didn't give glory to God for that. We just like, we just brushed our teeth. We took it for granted. <laughs> we got to be careful. So God lets the wicked go first. And he does that. And the king is like, look, if you guys don't tell me the dream, I want to kill all y'all. And notice what he says now in verse number 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth, good answer, that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord or ruler, that asketh such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requires, and there is none other that can show it before the king except who, my friends? The gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. That's the honest thing they said, even though they didn't know what they were talking about. There is nobody that can reveal this thing to you but the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. There has to be a supernatural intervention. Stay with me. There has to be a supernatural intervention. And I'm going to show this to you for almost every prophetic point there is. Because every time there is an attempt by the world to solve the world's problems, it only gets, you guys are smart, it only gets worse. 
Now, notice what the Bible says in verse number 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Oh, I wish I could break that down. To Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariok made the thing known to Daniel. Now watch what happens next, my friend. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he should give him, what's it say, my friends? Time that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house, listen, my friends, and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire, what's it say, my friends? Mercies of the God of heaven concerning this, what's it say? Hmm. Here it is. Daniel knew who his friend was. He said, hey, anybody else interested in knowing the truth? Hey, let's gather together. Let's pray. Come on, come on, come on, brothers. Brothers, let's pray. Mind you, think about it. If you were in that moment in time and some king asked you to interpret a dream that he didn't remember, how impossible is that to you? It's 100% impossible to humanity of and himself. So how many situations are you in today? How many tribulations and trials are in your life today? What should you do based on the story? Gather some friends, let's pray. Why pray? Why pray if there's no loving God? No, you pray because there is a loving God, amen? You pray because you know that that God in heaven is hearing and he's intentional. He wants to hear from you. So you pray, you gather together, you ask God, Father, please. Help me with my child. Father, please, there's trouble in my home, and I don't know, but your Bible says, your word says, there is peace that passes all understanding for those who trust in him. So you pray, you gather together, because the Most High wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. You pray. So he gathered, he prayed, and he does this in verse number 18 that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, and I was going to start singing now, I was going to start singing. This is one of our scripture songs. I'm going to start singing it for you just a little bit. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his and he changeth the times and the seasons he removeth kings and setteth up kings he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, 
who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee for thou has made known unto us the king's matter blessed be the name of god forever and ever that's how it goes you know, it's a beautiful song, but do you know that I just sang to you the crux of the whole book of Daniel? That passage right there is the crux of the whole book, whether it's Daniel 11, whether it's Daniel 12. He sets up kings. He takes them down. He knows what is in the dark. He knows what's going on. There is nothing hid from his eyes. God is in control. God is in control, my friends. And because he's in control and he's a loving, merciful, kind God, I'm all in on his side. Amen? Amen. I'm all in on his side. So he's having this dream or he's having the reality has now come to him. Now I want you to watch the interaction of Daniel. We have a few more moments left. I want you to watch the interaction of Daniel with the king. And we're going to jump all the way down to verse 25. It says in verse 25, Then Ariach brought Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded Cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? So what is Daniel doing? He's saying, let the wicked go first. Yeah, the people you have in charge, they can't, they can't explain it to you? Your government leaders can't figure out what cancer is? Huh? They, they can't figure out how to solve the financial issues of the world? You're saying they can't even figure out how to do gender stuff anymore. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that this is the, what God does. He positions man to solve the problem. We give everybody a chance to figure it out. God is not upset that people are trying to figure it out. Go ahead, try to figure it out. Whatever. If, that's the power of free will. That's the power of love. Go ahead, figure it out. If this, do you think that uh, drinking alcohol is going to fix it for you? Do you think medicating yourself is going to, you think by going into your world or just watching movies, you think that's going to fix it for you? No, he's giving you the chance, just if you think you could do it. And then he comes in and says, if it's not going to work for you, give me a try. You see how loving it is? I mean, he, he lets everybody figure it out. And he says, if, if you're tired, are you tired yet? Are you weary? Are you sick of doing it on your own? Give me a try. Oh, what a wonderful God. What a wonderful God. So he, he, he positions it, and then he says in verse number 28, But there is a God in heaven, amen, that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. 
Now watch carefully because sometimes we read over this quickly, but there's actually a key point here. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Now pause for a moment. You may have missed it, so I'm going to make sure I emphasize it. Remember now, Daniel prayed and, and his friends prayed, Father, if you would please give us the dream and the interpretation. That's what he prayed for. But God gave him more than just what he prayed for. He also gave him, Daniel, I'm not going to just tell you what he dreamt. I'm going to tell you what he was thinking before he even went to sleep. Did you get that? What you were thinking about before you went to bed, you were thinking about what was going to happen after your kingdom. So I'm going to tell you what you were thinking about before you went to bed, and then I'm going to tell you this is what I told you about what you were thinking about. So it's interesting. The, pro the prophecy is so interesting because what's happening is God is, is, is working on a micro and macro level. So he's like, I'm going to deal with, with you, Nebuchadnezzar, on a personal level, but that personal level is going to explain the whole, the whole picture. Watch. Watch what happens. So it says, uh, but as for me, well, yeah, yeah, yes. verse 30, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy, what's it say, my friends? So God is revealing the dream so he can know his heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold. Hmm. His breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled, how much of the earth, my friends? All right, so it filled the whole earth. So now watch carefully, and, and, and I, want you to, I just want you to think for a moment. In this synopsis, without me going on to any interpretation, what happens to the image? It's destroyed, yes? Now, I don't have to go any, I mean, at the end of the day, you understand that this image built up, has a head, has chest and arms, has a body, has legs, and has feet. What does that image normally resemble? It's a human, okay? So clearly, this is an image of a man, and clearly, this image of a man is something that is built up, but it's going to be built up and ultimately what? Destroyed. Everybody follow that? We didn't have to go any deeper than that. All we did was set the premise. 
It's something that looks like a man. It's the image of a man. It reflects a man. Then it has all these different elements. But mind you, I think God is so awesome. I think it's awesome. Now, let me tell you why I think it's awesome. So in the, in the Bible, there's all these different dreams. So Joseph had a dream about um, cows, seven lean cows, seven fat cows, seven ears, of co- seven ears of corn, nice plentiful corn, and then seven, you know, scrawny looking corn. Uh, who's the other guy? Daniel has another dream where he has dreams about a lion and a leopard and a bear. Uh, So God gives these dreams, and he uses imagery that the people who he's talking to would understand. So so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has a dream about elements of gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. What are those, are those, those elements for? They're for building up kingdoms. Y'all not understand. You understand what I just said? You're going to build a kingdom. You're going to put an empire together. You're going to need gold. You're going to need currency. You're going to need all these different elements. So God uses things that Nebuchadnezzar thinks about to convey to him, to help him understand, so he can follow the pictures. I think that's amazing. Now Now notice, again, we're just observing the image. Head of gold. What's just more valuable, gold or silver? Very good. Gold is more valuable. So which is more valuable, silver or bronze? Silver. silver. Then you go from bronze to iron. Which is more valuable? Bronze. And then you get the, the thing of clay. Now, if you're going by strength of metal, the stronger is iron. Right? The more it goes down, the strength of the kingdom gets stronger. So all you're doing, you're watching the elements. You're seeing the elements. You're making these observations. That's, every time I study the Bible, all I do is observe. I don't try to interpret anything. I just watch it for a second. You lay it out on the table, just what? I look at it. Okay, that looks interesting. No, I'm not interpreting anything. Just wait. Put it right there. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then as I see the mosaic, if you will, as I lay it there, then I'm praying, or I might be working in the garden or something like that, it'll come. It'll come. Because, again, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So I just happen to be here as a conduit at the moment, but praise the Lord, he's not restricted to this room. Amen? So when you leave here, what's going to end up happening is the truths that you've heard, you're going to go home, you're going to think about it. You don't, uh, hopefully you don't let the devil just crowd you out with a bunch of mess. Right? You think about it, and as you think about it, something else will go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's the teacher. And it will become more clear and more emphatic and more principled in your mind. So you lay it out there. So we saw the elements. Oh, the wealth of the kingdom gets less as the kingdom goes down, but the strength of the kingdom gets more as it goes down. But then when you get to the feet, there's an interesting observation. So let's go quickly, because let's go quickly. So we're back in our Bibles. No, now the interpretation is about to come. Verse 36. Verse 36. This is the dream, and we will, and we, and notice how he says we. <laughs> this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven have given thee, what's it say, my friends? The God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whithersoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, have given into thine hand, and have made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. His kingdom is this head of 
go. Now, it's interesting. The passage does not make mention of the name of the next kingdom. It just mentions the element of the next kingdom. But we know that in this image, is there any disjointedness? Is the head separated off the body and then the arm? No, everything's connected. So we know that there will be a continuation from one kingdom to the next kingdom. So you are this head of gold. Then he goes on to say it next, next it says, uh, verse 39, and after these shall arise another kingdom. And what's the word that's used after that word kingdom? Inferior. In other words, it's not going to be as strong as you. Inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over, what's it say? So we see here a one world order. It says it bear rules over how much of the earth? All the earth. Now, don't start thinking, Andre, use the conspiracy theory word. You're going to take us off into... Stay with me. Don't, don't jump anywhere. We just, we're following, observing the text. Gold, silver, bronze. It bears rule over all the earth. Thou art this, or, or, bears rule all, over all the earth, verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as, and as iron breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. So Babylon, I, didn't, I don't know why I didn't put it on the screen, but Babylon ruled from the year 605, some people say 606, 605 to 538. Some people say 539. So in this time frame, this is the rule of Babylon. Okay? And this is all B.C. Yes. All right? So Babylon rules from that time. Now, silver is the next kingdom. Oh, let me actually, let me read this. Uh, this letter from, this is what they found on the cuneiform, a letter from Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what the letter said. Babylon, the city which is the delight of my eyes, which I have glorified, may it last. How long, my, my friends? So Nebuchadnezzar in his mind is like, this is going to last forever. But God said, you are the head of gold. So this will not be lasting forever. There is a limit. There is a limit. Nebuchadnezzar thought he would last forever. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never, what's the word right there? It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. Nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But while beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls, ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper there. Isaiah 13, 19 to 21. You know what? If somebody wants to prove the Bible wrong, all they got to do is go to Iraq and build uh, Babylon. That's all they got to do. Just, prove, just, go to, just organize. Go build Babylon, and the Bible will be wrong. But do you know they tried to do that? Did you know that? Yeah, they tried to do that. Saddam Hussein thought he was uh, the second coming of Nebuchadnezzar. He did. Notice Saddam had himself photographed not long ago in a replica of the war chariot of Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian king who Saddam apparently reveres as his hero. Despite a bout of insanity which is recounted in the book of Daniel, 
Nebuchadnezzar made his name in history by destroying Jerusalem in 587 BC and driving its inhabitants into 70 years of captivity. Isn't that interesting? It is fair warning. So what happened? So UNESCO intends to put the magic back in Babylon. So this whole article was just way back in the day. Uh, so what they were trying to do is build a little theme park there and try to make it fun. And then what happened was the, the desert storm happened and they happened to drop some bombs on that thing. <laughs> and that was it. Again, all you got to do to prove God wrong, go build Babylon. That's all you have to do. In this ancient city, it's hard to tell what are ruins and what is, is, what is just ruined. Crumbly mud brick buildings, some 2,500 years old, look like smashed sandcastles at the beach. Signs of military occupation are everywhere. Trenches, bullets, casings, shiny coils of razor wire, and blast walls stamped this side scud protection. You guys paying attention? See, man thinks he's smarter than God, but God is in control. God said Babylon would never be inhabited again. It would just be good for animals and critters and whatever else that's going to be there. Next theme is Medo-Persia. I want you to notice this, and I've only put a little bit of information in regards to Medo-Persia here. I could have gone into how they had silver coins as the main thing, but I wanted to put this here. Do you realize that in the book of Isaiah, which was written 150 years before Cyrus was born, God mentions Cyrus by name? Y'all not paying attention. So Daniel is in Babylon when Cyrus comes, Cyrus and Darius come into town, and Daniel all has to do is go to the scrolls of Isaiah and be like, um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I mean, Cyrus, I want you to see God has a plan for you. Y'all not understanding what I'm saying. In the transition of one kingdom to the next, Daniel is the, way, the, the key link. But when he comes in there, Daniel just says, your name's right here. Isaiah, I don't know how he rolled it out. The scroll, he probably just rolled it out. Had to run to Isaiah 45. Your name's right here, bro. You, you didn't take this kingdom by yourself. The God of heaven put you here. You didn't organize this capture by yourself. In fact, the God of heaven actually said how you were going to do it. Do you know, the, and I'm going to do it another night, I'm going to show you, but the Bible actually says that the gates of Babylon would be left open and that the king himself would smite his knees together that very night and he would wet himself. Th that's actually in the Bible. It says exactly what was going to happen, and it happened just as it prophesied, my friends. Tell me something. If I find my name... <laughs> on a piece of parchment 150 years before it happened. I'm paying attention to that book. What do you say? Amen. I'm paying attention to that prophet, that person. I'm going to pay attention because, my friends, these things don't happen by accident. So the next kingdom that came on the scene was Medo-Persia. And the re reason why they call it Medo-Persia, there's two kingdoms together, Persia being the more powerful of the two. Ultimately, they just called it the Persian Empire. Again, you can look this up. This is not something I'm making up. Daniel 2.39, and then another third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. That third kingdom is Greece. Now, I was doing some extra research on this because I have a study that I'm doing on the book of Daniel chapter 11, which is a whoosh, that is a, that is a doozy. But as I was going through this chapter, I started doing a lot of research on Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander, in fact, let me write these other dates down for you before I go there. So Medo-Persia rules from 538, 539 to 331 B.C., okay? Yes. 
And then you have, this is uh, Medo-Persia. Okay, and then after that we have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. All right, so Greece rules from 331 to 168. And I believe this is, yeah, this is BC. All right, so this is Greece. So I did some research on, on uh, uh, Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great is an interesting character. He had multiple wives. His mother was absolutely insane. Okay, if you go any type of research on her, she, she absolutely worshipped demons and all sorts of weird stuff. Okay, it was, it, it's just weird. She was a very strange mom. So you understand how Alexander the Great turned out? Okay, just saying. Now, Alexander the Great was not just many wives. He actually had a boyfriend, too. Now, it was interesting, as I was reading through the history of what happened with Alexander the Great, his boyfriend died a month before Alexander the Great died. Now, Alexander the Great uh, had this, um, by the age of 33, was it 33 or 31? By the age of 33 years old, he had conquered all of this vast area. In fact, the historians uh, say this about Alexander the Great. This is from the Historical Library, Book 17, Chapter 12. I am persuaded that there was no nation, city, nor people then being whether his name did not reach. So Alexander the Great is just smashing people. I mean, ruling the world at 30-something years old. There seems to me to have been some divine hand presiding both over his birth and his actions. This is a historical accounting of uh, Alexander the Great. Now, again, the reason why I'm bringing up this relationship thing, do you know when his, when his boyfriend died, he actually got very, very depressed? Yes. Yes, he had, he's multiple, right? So when he died, and I'm not speaking in regards one way or the other, I'm just letting you know relationships matter. So when his boyfriend died, that's when he became very depressed, and then a month later, that's when he's having his big party, and he, th it's stated that he drinks from the Herculean cup and essentially poisons himself because of the alcohol that he is drinking at a, a, a copious amount. Okay? Very, very, very sad ending to one of the great military leaders of that day. But he learned to capture the world, but he couldn't capture his own soul. He could discipline armies, but he could not discipline himself. And my friends, some of us are great at many things. We might be great at our jobs. You might have the respect of all the people around us. The church people might think you're a great person, but at home, you may be all something altogether different. Only God can help you. At the end of the day, my friends, the pretension, the glory, the fame, the honor, all that means little if I cannot have my soul at rest and at peace. Peace, my friends. That's what we want. Peace. So here's the fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom is pagan, pagan Rome. Now, pagan Rome is the legs of iron, and they are known, my friends, for their iron, their weapons of iron, all that. In fact, most of what we have today is, as, a, is a, as roads and structures and things like that comes from Rome. It's a great, great, powerful nation. Powerful nation. This is the kingdom in which our Lord and Savior came in, and he was crucified by Roman hands, but my friends, it was not the Romans that killed Jesus. That's a different discussion. It was you and I that put him to death. You understand that, right? You and I 
And you, again, there's one night you don't want to miss it. I, I don't know which night it is off the top of my head, but you don't want to miss any night. <laughs> but that night you definitely don't want to miss. It's, we're going to go deep, and you're going to see. There is, a, there is actually, and not to go into too much of a commercial, do you know that Jesus is all in the Old Testament? I mean, you can trace him throughout the Old Testament. You can see him throughout the Old Testament. And some, some people just want to do away with the Old Testament. They just want to be in the New Testament. I say, my friends, you're missing out on a huge blessing. Jesus is all throughout the Old and the New. He is everywhere. He is everywhere. So, these Roman Empire, this is, again, our Lord and Savior came in this time frame and it says this, the images of gold, of silver, and brass that might serve to represent the nations and their kings were successively broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. This is out of Edward Gibbons' decline and fall of the Roman Empire. So Rome is that next kingdom from 168 B.C., and it goes all the way to the mid-4th century A.D. as this mighty, mighty power. And again, I love history. I don't know what happened. My, my daughter loves history, too, which is good. A transition gave some, some of that to her. But I love history. When you go through and you start seeing what, how mighty of a nation this was, but you know that every nation that rise and fell, oh, I almost forgot to give this to you. Watch this. Watch this. I want you to hold your hand here in Daniel 2, and I want you to go to the book of Proverbs. You have to see this with your own eyes. Watch this, my friends. This is a beautiful passage and quite instructive, not just on a nation level, but on a personal level. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34, and you have to see this passage. In Proverbs 14 and verse 34, please notice what the Bible says. Righteousness exalteth a nation. What's exalts a nation, my friends? Righteousness. Now, we're going to go into great detail another time what righteousness is, but righteousness is what lifts a nation up. But sin is a reproach to any people. Now, what's a reproach? That means it's a stumbling block. It actually brings people down. Every nation that we read about, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, there's a rise of the nation. It's rising because it's at, at some level, in some form of honesty, there is righteousness that is upgirding that nation. And as that nation begins to reject righteousness, the, the nation begins to go down. And God begins to rise, raise up another nation. I can show you, and it's interesting, when you look at um, Israel's being captive, Jeremiah the prophet is actually taken captive. And as Jeremiah the prophet is taken captive, there's a, a captain named Nebuzaradan. And Nebuzaradan, who was Nebuchadnezzar's top captain guy, says to the prophet, the reason why you guys are being taken captive is because you've broken your covenant with your God. No, I said, I read, I read that the first. I said, what? What, what? what did I just read? This pagan captain tells the prophet the reason why you guys are being taken captive is because you broke the covenant with your God. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. So righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings a nation down. Tell me. Okay, say, can you see? Is this country going up or down? May I? Y'all don't even need to come to prophecy class no more. You got it. <laughs> the nation is on its way down. Morality, down. And there is a revival coming. 
But my friends, the revival starts right here. Starts with us personally. At the end of the day, total heart consecration to God. That's what needs to happen in this room. I'm not worried about the whole entire world. God just took 12, and that's all right. You understand what I'm saying? So let's start. Let's start with that. Now, let's keep moving. Almost done. Almost done, my friends. Verse 41. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel, verse 41. Daniel 2, verse 41. It says, Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now, when we get down to the feet here, my friends, I have passages, and I'm only going to share a couple. Of, I'm going to put them all on the screen, but I'm going to read a few of them because I want to make sure that you understand the principle, and I'm not going to identify any nations or persons, but I want you to understand the principle. If you understand the principle, you'll be able to interpret it yourself. So watch this. Iron is a civil or secular power. Why? Because Rome, pagan Rome, is a, it's just that power, right? But I want you to look at clay for a moment. What is clay? Jeremiah 18. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Watch what the Bible says. Jeremiah 18, beginning at verse number 4. The Bible says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of, what's it say, my friends? Israel. So now God is about to equate Israel with clay. O house of Israel, can I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. So God's people, Israel's God's people, God's people have been equated with clay. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8, the Bible says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the, what's it say, my friends? We are the clay, and thou are potter. We all are the work of thy hand. So we, God's people, his children, are the clay. Stay with me. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. Looking at verses 9 and 11. 9 through 11. Isaiah 45, verses 9 through 11. Watch carefully. All we're doing is we're just being honest Bible students. And then the Bible speak for itself. Isaiah 45, verses 9 through 11. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou? Or thy work he hath no hands? Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. Again, God's equating his 
church with clay, his people with clay. Are you following the idea? Okay. Romans. Now, Romans is just going to say the same thing Isaiah said. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Now, watch carefully. Romans 9. We're going to look at verse number 19. Romans chapter 9. Looking at verse number 19. We're going to read through 26. It says, Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth ye yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing that formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and made his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto his glory. So the vessels of mercy is us. He's prepared us for his glory, okay? Even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the, what's it say, my friends? So that's us. So we are, I mean, some of you might be Jews, I don't know. But for us, we were not born Jews. So now Jews and Gentiles are now lumped in the same category as clay. We are his church. We are his people. So when I look at the image, it has iron and clay. What does it have together, my friends? Iron and what? Iron and clay. So it has a civil power, and there is a church or state or uh, uh, a church power. So we have a union in the last days where you will see a union of church and? Okay, so all I want you to do, I just want you to think about it. I don't want you to do anything with that information. Just let it sit there for a couple of days. You know how you, there's a seed and it sprouts. <laughs> so I don't, want you to, I, just don't, I don't want you to make any conclusion. I just want you to think about it. What the Bible is doing is giving you an imagery. I'm not saying it. The Bible's saying it. There's a civil power, and there's a state power, and then after this union, and notice what the Bible says about it. Go back to Daniel for a moment, my friends. Go back to Daniel. This is where it gets critical. Look at verse 41. I'm going to read it again. It says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be, what's it say? Divided. Are we living in a divided nation right now? Are we in a divided kingdom right now? Are we in a divided world right now? Come on now, my friends. It will be divided. It says, uh, where is it? What verse am I at, my friend? 41. But there shall be in it a strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be, what's it say? Partly strong and partly what? Broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And they shall not cleave one to another. That word cleave, again, I don't have time to break it all down, but that word cleave comes from the book of Genesis when husband and wife are supposed to. So there's going to be a, an attempt by the world to cleave together this religion and this state power together, and they're going to try to cleave together, and it will not. It's not going to work. All I'm doing is reading the Bible. I'm not making this up. I'm reading the Bible. It says it's not going to work. It says, 
it, it says, uh, shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is, is not mixed with clay. Iron does not mix with clay. Iron does not mix with clay. Iron does not mix with clay. And the day, and in the days of these kings, now, my friends, I cannot wait for tomorrow. Listen, you got to be here. You don't want to miss tomorrow. But tomorrow we're talking about on the eve of Armageddon, and I'm going to walk down at least 10 key points and elements in regards to understanding that we were right there. So they will not mix together, and it says, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Come on now. You want to be a part of that kingdom? Amen. Amen. So now we see the, the succession of kingdom one after the other. And going to come down to a time when there's a church and a state trying to come together. And God says it's not going to work. But he says, let the wicked go first. They're going to try to solve. Let them go first. And it will not work. And God says, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And this kingdom will never pass away. This kingdom of peace and love and joy, everything that we want in our world today, he himself has to set it up. No man can set it up. No church person of his natural ability can set it up. God himself must set it up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My friends, I'm excited. I'm excited. Because at the end of the day, my friends, when he comes again, this rock, I won't go there right now. This rock that's cut out with our hands is going to come and hit the image at his feet. The rock does not hit the image on the head. It doesn't hit him in the chest. It doesn't hit him in the legs. It hits him in the feet. And this rock, my friends, it hits and the Bible says it grows into a great mountain. Oh, I wish I could break that down even more. But if you want, Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 23 to 25, say that a mountain is a kingdom. So this rock that hits, hits the image at the feet grows and it grows and God's kingdom expands and expands. And it talks about it in the sense that God's kingdom essentially envelops the entirety of the world. Revelation 18 says it differently. It says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, and the light of this angel enveloped the whole earth. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. And why? Well, for the Gentiles have seen a great light, and they're going to come to that light, my friends. God is in the process right now of setting up an eternal kingdom. The question is, will you be a part of it? Now tonight, we're going to have our, our appeal song. And those, who has my cards to hand out this evening? Who has those? Or will you please hand those out? And while my appeal song is being sang, I want you to take that card. I want you to fill it out. I want you to write your name. And you need to make a decision tonight. Not tomorrow. Not some other time. Tonight, you need to make a decision for the king. I want you to prayerfully consider, there are four, four statements here. The first one says, I understand the sequence of nations in Daniel 2. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then that mixed kingdom at the bottom. Then God himself sets up that kingdom. So you check that if you understood that. Number two says, I see that God is in control 
and I can trust him. I can trust him. I want you to, I, I, you need to make a decision. You need to write that right there. Just check that. Brother Andre, I, I trust God. He's in control. The third one says, I want to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. That's my desire. I'm going to check that right now. Amen. <laughs> and the last one says, tonight, I want to sincerely give my heart to Jesus. I think that's a straight ace flush right there. I want every one of these checked on your boxes. Every single person. Tonight, let's choose to follow Jesus. My friends, I pray your decision was simple tonight. I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to be a part of his everlasting kingdom. I want to be ready when he comes through those clouds to take his children home. Before you leave, as you're walking out the door, they're going to take your cards from you. And if you put your name on there and you want me to pray with you, please just say, Brother Waller, I want you to pray with me. I want, I want you to pray over my family. Just write that on the card so I'll know. I'll, I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray over your name when I go to bed tonight, when I wake up in the morning. So if you want me to do that, let's do that. How many understood the word of God this evening? Can I see your hand? Can I see your hand? Praise God. 
Praise God. And I, and I know you wrote it on the card already, but I just want to know how many are planning to be a part of that eternal kingdom. Can I see your hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, thank you for being here this evening. Please seal our decisions. Lord, take our hearts for we cannot give them. They are yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Pastor is going to say a few words for us this evening.